says a lot, a little. One of the poets I love is named David Whiteman. He says that uh, poetry, uh, music is what poetry wishes it could be. Music is what poetry wishes it could be. What we just did here was something different, right? Amazing. Thank you all for leading us. Um, let, I, I've been watching you all from afar. This is the first time I've ever been to this church building, I've, I, but I've known several folks here. I've seen this church grow, and I've seen it develop over time, and, it, and it's, a, it, it's an encouragement to me to be here, to be with you, and hopefully be an encouragement to you all. Uh, you're a special group. You're a special group, and you're a community that's uh, it's loving. You're a community that I can tell from a distance asks and is not afraid to ask hard questions of God, of yourself, of this culture that we live in. And so for that, I have great respect. And so it's an honor for me to be with you all. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get, get rolling, all right? Lord Jesus, Father God, you are a good, good Father. And we've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. But some of us have heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night. You tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. Lord, be with us now. Be with each one of us as we tackle and wrestle with a, a topic that is the air we breathe in this culture. Be with us. Transform the air to here, and may it be a place of peace and of love. In your holy name we pray. Amen. All right, does everybody have a handout? Okay. Um, we'll get to, my wife always gives me uh, whatever the heck or something for uh, being the worst handout maker of all time. But nevertheless, whatever. You, you get what you get. So, um, like I said, it's good to be with y'all. I, I um, This is a big topic. I got like 25 minutes with you, okay? And then we're going to do an exercise together that I hope actually facilitates even more of an experience of something that is really the antidote to shame, and that is story, and the healing power of story. But not just any old story, but the way you tell your story. And so we're going to play around with that uh, together in a creative way tonight. But just to say from the jump, um, there's a lot of great literature on shame, okay? It's a very popular topic in our culture in a, in a lot of ways. And it's people like Brene Brown, I would highly recommend her work to you. Uh, a guy named Kurt Thompson, uh, from more of a, a Christian perspective, has written a book called The Soul of, uh, the Soul of Shame. Excellent book. Um, so I'm not going to go into too much detail about what shame is, but I do think it's worth having a definition from the jump, all right? And that is, Brene Brown says, says it this way. She says, she defines shame as the intensely, this isn't on your handout, right? I'm a bad handout guy, so just listen. Uh, as, he, as the shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Another way to say it is there, there's a real useful distinction between guilt and shame. Guilt is a, is a natural and good feeling, but not good, but it's a, it's a difficult feeling. It's an it's, uh, um, adaptive feeling. You should, if you do something wrong, you should feel guilt. 
right? I did something wrong. And, and that has some bad connotations to it. Shame, though, takes it a step further. I did something wrong, and I'm bad. Okay? Shame, guilt says I did something wrong. Shame says I am bad. Fundamentally flawed. And therefore, as Brene Brown says, unworthy of connection. So tonight, what I want to do, though, is, is really, as I said, talk about the antidote to shame. Um, and a, a useful word that Brene Brown and others have, have written about is vulnerability. Vulnerability. Which, I'm not a Latin scholar, but they're, they're, the root of the word vulnerable comes from vulnerous, which means wound. And it, it literally paints this picture of vulnerability of walking around with an open wound which every one of us has. I haven't joked about it in terms of everybody feels shame. Everybody feels this. Now, we're educated or competent in some unique ways and whatever status we may uh, achieve or or social abilities we have that we can kind of, we can duck around it, all right? But it is there. So the antidote then is being able to tell the story of who you are with your whole heart, whole heart, vulnerable, fully open, nothing to hide. Shame then, let me say a few things about it. It's rooted in a, what I would say a storyless life, a story, storyless life. Developmentally speaking, shame seems to delay a person uh, what in developmental psychology, we would refer to as a concrete operational way of thinking, very black and white way of thinking, very young person way of thinking. I'm good or I'm bad. And when it does this, the the person then begins to uh, try to understand who they are, uh, usually by individual means. And in our culture, we start to do that through things like comparison, competition, perpetual discontentment. Shame is, is planted, fertilized, and grown by, by the merit-based culture we live in that, as I said, is rooted in comparison and competition and discontentment, but even more is rooted in a, a scarcity, that there's not enough. And just look at where... Never enough is... America, it's just like everything. Every, you can't turn on a television and not be assaulted with this idea that you are not enough. You don't have enough. You, you don't make enough. Your, uh, what's the commercial with the, you know, your retirement number above you, right? <laughs> Is it enough? Well, it's never enough, right? In a shame-based culture, it's never enough. And so that creates fear, creates anxiety, it creates anger, suspicion, paranoia, Depression, hypervigilance, loneliness, right? None of these things are good. Shame is also a contaminant that disorients the self and the self in relation to God and others. Shame isolates, it divides, and convinces you that there is not enough. You are not enough, you will, you, and you will live exposed to the harmful elements of not having enough. Shame elevates scarcity. Scarcity, as I said, is the air we breathe in this American, capitalistic, individualistic, pleasure-seeking culture. Just look, I, 
if you tried to, try to find a car recently, <laughs> hard to find a car. Houses, it, there's not, there's, it's a buyer, uh, sell, seller's market, not a buyer's market. Toilet paper, paper towels. Uh, what school is my kid gonna go to? Baby formula, gas, jobs, vaccines. There's not enough. We live in this every day. It's exhausting. And so as I suggested, shame is a storyless, it creates a storyless life. And, and, but the way it does that is that it confines language. It limits possibility by words like always and never. If you hear always and never, you're probably smelling some shame. People under great stress start to use these words. Shame, it, it fragments also fragments our identity and forces the self into false narratives that are confining. Not like this song that we sang, right? That opens up. So it also disorients us. One of the fascinating things I've been contemplating recently is God's first question in Genesis 3. Where are you? Where are you? Fascinating question. Okay, he's the God of the universe. He knows where they are. That's not that's not what he's really asking them. He's asking them to orient themselves to him, I think. Where are you? Their shame disorients them. It fragments them from one another and from themselves and from God, and then they are disoriented. They do not know where they are. I'm going to drive home to Raleigh tonight, and I'm going to plug in my home address and my GPS. If that machine and however it works does not orient me to Christ Central Church, I, that's loud, I won't get I won't get there. No matter how well intentioned I might be, I mean I I'll probably get there. But it's not that far. But, you know, without an orienting spot place, you have no navigational ability. You do not know where you're going, and your ability to then discern. All the nuances of that navigational journey is really shot. Conversely then, love frees. Jesus says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.17 that where the spirit is, there's freedom. Did you feel it a moment ago when we sang? It's different. It's different. There's freedom We see it in the, in the early church in Acts 2, that, that there is plenty of opportunity and abundance. Everybody, all their needs were met. There's always enough where there's love. So I want to talk about then how do we tell these stories? How do we do it? And, you know, there's no better example in a lot of ways, uh, maybe in all ways, than Jesus. And so Jesus gives us some, some interesting pieces here, which are Jesus is submitted to the Father. He says, no, no one knows the time or place but the Father. And in the Anglican church, where I, I go in Anglican church, uh, we say we are all people under authority. We're submitted to something greater than ourselves. Jesus also exhibits vulnerability. The incarnation is the ultimate act of vulnerability. So there's, no, there's no comparison. He also abandons himself. He empties himself. Being in very nature God, 
humbled himself, emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. So, story. We've got to learn how to tell a story, if, as far as I'm concerned. And if, if you're going to grow into something more like a loving relationship with yourself, with one another, and with God. And without that story, you, you really don't have a script. I, I've worked in private practice for 17 years. Okay, I've met with a lot of people. And if you ask a person, tell, tell me about you. 98% of the time, I don't know, maybe there's a few exceptions, but they are going to tell you a story about where they're from. We were, I met Virginia and Maximus. Where are you from? Well, I'm from Miami. Oh, and they start to tell a story. And it's not just one story, it's Cuba, it's other, there's layers to, it's not, none of us are one story, right? Why do we get together every Sunday and tell this gospel story? Because it's not just one story. It's, it's constantly growing. Shame is constantly constricting things. Love is constantly making it bigger. So as I said, shame, it delanguages story. I'm not sure that's a word, but I made it up. Um, it flattens story. It, it puts story into a binary, comparative, either-or categories that, that create these types of disconnections. So now we're going to look at your handout. All right. So on your handout, there's a poem on the first page. And this is from Leslie Silco in a book called Ceremony. That is a novel that... Um, from a Native American perspective. And um, she starts her, her novel this way. This is an elder speaking. I will tell you something about stories. I will tell you something about stories. They aren't just entertainment. Don't be fooled. They are all we have, you see. All we have to fight off illness and death. You don't have anything if you don't have the stories. They're evil, the, the white man. They're evil is mighty. But it can't stand up to our stories. So they try to destroy the stories. Let the stories be confused or forgotten. They would like that. They would be happy. Because we would be defenseless then. Now it shifts. He rubbed his belly. Rubbed his belly. I keep them here. Here, put your hand on it. There is life here for the people. And in the belly of this story, the rituals and the ceremony are still growing. The only cure I know is a good ceremony. The only cure I know is a good ceremony. Well, what an honor as a believer. We get to have a ceremony every week. That's curative. That expands our knowledge of who we are, of who God is, of who we are in relationship to one another. It begins to tell us these, these ceremonies, these ways of telling story, begins to tell us who God is and who God says we are. That song, that's what I loved about it. It's like this it tells us who we are. We are beloved. Jesus is intimately acquainted with you. Now, we have some other questions. Who do, who do, who do, who? 
I've, have y'all heard a word I've been saying? Okay, good. This stone. That's a big difference. I wasn't even close. Okay, I'm not used to using these. So, um, wow. <laughs> this is this is great. So I'm going to use this one day because I, I talk a lot about when you tell a story, you're asserting your voice. In psychology, we call it your agency, right? Your your sense of self. And if you tell the story like this, nobody can hear it. But if you tell it like this, <laughs> all right. So, um, all right. How are we going to do this? I said uh, on the little video, uh, which was awkward for me to do, probably. Uh, I'm not a bigger than videos, really. Um, but um, I'm going to talk about three things about how we tell a story that are, that are prerequisites. God, this is a dicey thing. They are show up. This is also on your sheet, I think. Pay attention. Tell the truth. I went round and round about putting the word but in a church <laughs> talk. But... Uh, one of my favorite authors is a woman named Anne Lamont, uh, who is an irreverent Christian, I, I like to refer to her as. But she famously said that, that the key to being a great writer is to keep your butt in the chair. Writers write. They don't leave the chair. Okay. Now, that has become a bit of a mantra for me over the years. Because when I was newly married, my wife and I, we both came from shame backgrounds ourselves, as do all of you. And so you have different ways of relating to each other. One of our ways of relating was get in a little bit of an argument, give her a zinger, and walk out of the room. <laughs> right? Okay. And we're watching one night, Everybody Loves Raymond. And this same dynamic happened. And literally by the grace of God, somehow I was in my right mind. And I was able to see, okay, that's funny on a TV show. But in real life, that never works. It never creates connection. So Jason, keep your butt in the chair. Don't leave the room. Show up. Be all there. We have a calligraphy thing in our house, a uh, frame that is a quote from Jim Elliott who famously said, wherever you are, be all there. Be all there. Philosophically, in any we can't be anywhere but where you are. Right now, you're thinking about some other things that might be going on in your life or what you might be doing next or what has happened to you in the past. But as a matter of actual fact, you are here and nowhere else. Be all here. When you tell your story and when you listen to a story, be all here. Okay? Pay attention. Pay attention. Um, I got on your sheet, FIDO. Okay, this is from uh, Fundamental Counseling Skills 101. Okay, my first class I ever took in graduate school. We talked about FIDO. All right, so it's an acronym. The F stands for face fully. Face fully. I work a lot with men, almost exclusively. Um, and uh, one of the things in working with men that is different than women, I'm going to make some sweeping gender stereotypes here, but I think it's pretty true, is that um, when my wife talks to her friends, she is in their face. And they're talking. And they're, they're, it's uncomfortable just doing what I'm doing right here. They're, they're too close. Right? And they are in each other's faces. Face and fully. But, right? 
Okay, when I was in graduate school, I writing about men, I'm learning about gender and all sorts of things. And I would not recommend this, but I promise you can do this. You, I can give you a secret to turn a man around in a complete circle, okay? Which is all you do for talking to him, because men talk like this. Hey, so what's up? Yeah, how's it going? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, man, that's but if I just start doing this, squaring up on him, I don't know you, but, but most, <laughs> most, most men are going to start to pivot. And if I just keep doing this, then we're going to be all the way around. Okay, so I would do that in my church back then. And then I thought, that is really arrogant. And, oh, utter waste of time. But, nevertheless, face fully. I is inclined slightly. All right, now, if you watch these cheesy uh, books uh, for counseling skills, there's a guy sitting there like this. Nobody really sits like this, and unless you're like on a bench in a sporting event. But, and you're leaning forward like this. You're just slightly <laughs> leaning forward. Now, I like to think of it more metaphorically. You need to lean in. In a little while, we're gonna tell some stories amongst ourselves. You need to lean in. There's gonna be a little noise, even when I was sitting over here earlier. I, was, I can't hear, I think I hear, I gotta lean in. I can't, there's so much ambient sound. Incline slightly. D, avoid distraction. Avoid distraction. This is obvious, we live in a culture of distraction. Uh, it is a spiritual discipline, it seems to me, to avoid it, to be present, to be fully where you are. Uh, and then last O is open posture. Okay, Our teacher used to say, don't cross your legs, be fully open. Well, that's weird too. I bet. Anyway, be open. Now, it's, it's not just the posture of your body, but it's the posture of your heart. It's the posture of your mind. Are you open to what this person's saying? Or is what they're saying to you uh, offer that. I don't know, that makes me think of da 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 and all of my stories, right? Or am I completely open to their experience right now, here in the moment? Pay attention. Now, I'm gonna tell you a story that changed my life. Um, I had a supervisor, uh, Joe Venema. He was a psychologist for 30 years at this point. And I had a case um, where I was not showing up or paying attention as far as I would evaluate now. But it was a young couple, and by my estimation, the guy was a jerk, okay? That's a clinical term, right? And, and I had all this clinical language about how I was gonna tell him what a jerk he was. And I tell Joe, I kind of play, played out with him, and he listens and he says, mm, like a lot of therapists here, mm -hmm. well, you can't say that. <laughs> and I was offended. I was like, well, I'm going to say it. I'm, this guy needs to know that he's a jerk. And he said, well, no, you can't say that. And the reason you can't say that, Jason, is because you don't love him. You don't love him. Go find something you love, and then we'll talk. All right, now, I went out with my tail between my legs or whatever. I, I was like, oh, my what, how am I going to do this? How am I going to find something I love about this guy? He's not a lovable character. And it, it changed my life. It changed my life. I, if you enter in and you pay attention to somebody long enough, you will find things you love about them. And one of the quickest ways that, or I don't know, I didn't know what I was doing, but it, it came to me, which was 
I began to see this man as a little boy. I saw all your kids, Isaiah, Noel. They're, you can't not love them, right? I mean, it's like everybody loves little kids. If you don't, I don't. I, anyway, they're amazing, amazing. And that man was a little boy just like that once. And he wants to be loved just like this song sings. And he is loved just like this song sings. Pay attention. Now, in our culture, um, we do the last uh, uh, first, which is uh, tell the truth. Okay, or we think we're telling the truth. We tell the truth, right? We, and, and Americans, we're really quite good at this, uh, given our opinions about all manner of things. <laughs> Jesus, there's a, a poem by Emily Dickinson that Eugene Peterson um, has a, a book that, by this title, Tell It Slant, about the parables of Jesus. But Emily Dickinson says it this way, tell all the truth, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Tell it slant at an angle. Because the truth, she says, must dazzle slowly, lest every man be blinded. There's timing. There's when do I tell the truth? How do I tell the truth? And first of all, the truth must start with you, with your own heart and its condition. All right? And then we can move out. Jesus does this a lot. It's amazing how... He's asking people, he says, one of my favorite questions Jesus asks is, what do you want me to do for you? Again, he's the God of the universe. He knows what the person needs. That I, it's not exactly what he seems to be asking. I think he's asking for mutuality. I think he's asking for participation. I could do it for you, but I want to hear, hear your story. Tell me what it is you want me to do for you. And one thing I have found repeatedly in this world is if you ask people about them, they will tell you. Now, some are slower than others, but everybody wants to tell their story. Tell the truth. So as a um, last little thought before we do this exercise, I would uh, highly encourage you spend far more time showing up and paying attention than you do telling the truth. But here in a little bit, we're going to try to do all three of these, okay? So on your sheet, there is a, um, some directions. You may have seen these pictures that are sitting out in the four corners of this room. And uh, that's an exercise from a group called, um, well, I think it's called Vibrant Faith, faith but they, they call it the Visual Faith Project. And it's a way of getting at... Um, just a gut feeling experience with an image and a story that goes with it. So I'm going to just read, excuse me, just read through these uh, directions, and then um, I'm going to send you all out here in a moment to do this. All right. So first of all, uh, just practically speaking, this is kind of tight. The corners are tight, so uh, you know, just kind of go near where you're sitting. All right. Um, and it may be a little clogged up for a while, but we'll, we'll get through it, all right? But what you're gonna do is, uh, you're gonna take three or five, whatever, just a little bit of time, to walk to the image tables and choose an image. I highly encourage you, do not overthink this. Whatever moves you, there are a lot of different pictures, whatever moves you first, just allow the image to draw you in. Then find a place, oh, before that, it may draw you in in all kinds of ways. It may be repulsed, like, God, that is 
really repugnant to me, or that really reminds me of something, or that is beautiful, or I like the color red, or what, you know, whatever it is, and, but whatever you find yourself drawn to, okay? Let it happen. Then find a place, just come back to your seat. Uh, take a few minutes by yourself to quietly consider these prompts, all right? Trust in the Holy Spirit to be with you and guide you as you look at the picture. Keep curious, okay? Gently curious. Be curious with yourself and resist trying to rush through it, trying to define it or understand it too quickly. What do you notice in the picture? Light, dark, movement, stillness, colors, or lack of color? What do you imagine might be the story within or behind the image? Describe then how the image makes you feel and what senses it evokes, using all of your senses if you can. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you touch? What do you taste? What do you hear? But maybe one is more than the other, okay? What draws you, stirs you, gives you pause or hope? Or what resistance, resistances are, are, are you experiencing? <coughs> Notice and name whatever comes to your heart and mind. Does the image remind you of an experience or a person or a place? Where do you see God or not see God within the picture? How does your own story relate to the picture in front of you? All right. So then I'm going to, I don't have a bell. You don't have this little dong, this little sounding bowl, but I didn't bring it. So I'll just ding or something like this and, <laughs> to tell you the transition, okay? And then what I'd like you to do is share your story, share your experience of the picture. And, you know, some of you came with a spouse or a friend, maybe somebody you're very comfortable with and know very well. Some of you may not know anybody in here um, and you may not really want to share your story and that's okay just listen all right but share your stories and then we'll come back together and see what what, what God might do in and amongst us here